is the Cloud Hub Podcast, your launchpad for Amazon Web Services. Welcome to the Cloud Out Podcast. My name is Michael, and usually I talk to Andreas in this podcast. But as you might have already noticed, Andreas is on parental leave until the end of the year. So that's why you will not hear him that often in the podcast uh, this year. But that's not a big deal. Um, so I will still provide you an episode every month. So Andreas and I, we are on a mission to explore Amazon Web Services. Listen to the Cloud or Not podcast to deepen your AWS knowledge, stay up to date and be inspired. Every month we discuss a topic about all things AWS in this podcast. This time we are talking about Default Injection Simulator, a new service, and you will get a service review of that new service. This is episode number 40 and we are recording it on April the 13th. A short announcement before we start. Subscribe to our newsletter to get the latest content delivered in your inbox weekly. And by the way, we are ruffling a one-year subscription for Cloudonaut Plus among all the subscribers every month. You will find the details and the link in the show notes for this episode. So let's get started. As AWS customers, we are already used to run our applications and distribute it across multiple EC2 instances and also across availability zones. So this helps us to achieve highly available and also full tolerant applications. For example, we can add um, a load balancer or a message queue to our architecture to front the fleet of EC2 instances. But how can we actually test that our system survives faults in reality, not only in theory? I can give you one example. So assuming there is an application and this application has five consumers, so five different applications talk to our application and the application itself talks to seven downstream dependencies. So the question here is what happens if one of those pieces fail? So are all the timeouts configured uh, accurately so that the request timeout before, for example, the load balancer drops them? Is the application retrying? Maybe if they cannot reach one amp, um, dependency, they might try again to hit another node and then it works. Uh, what happens if the whole network is, is slowing down? So how is the application reacting? So as you can see, a lot of things can go wrong here. And in, I think in reality, it is not really possible to understand all the consequences upfront. To tackle that problem, a new approach has emerged and that's called chaos engineering. With chaos engineering, we simulate faults in our systems and we kind of observe what happens. And the trick here is that we can simulate faults as often as we wish. We don't have to wait for the one day in a year where things go horribly wrong. No, we can now simulate them on a daily basis or even uh, on a hourly basis. And to help us with that, uh, AWS released the Fault Injection Simulator service. And the abbreviation here is FIS. And it's a tool to run controlled fault experiments within our own AWS accounts. So this is not theory. It actually injects faults in uh, the real environment. So if you wish into your production environment. And what we're going, today, uh, going to do today is I will uh, kind of look at the service and I um, provide a service review for you. So what is a service review? A service review is where we have an in-depth look into the service. We look at what was promised. We look at what it can do for us today. 
And we also uh, give a short introduction into what the service is actually about. And then we also come up with kind of a summary table that gives you an indication of how mature the service is. And as you can expect, um, a service that was launched recently is not as mature as one that is around for 10 years. So, but still the service review gives you an indication if it is something that is useful for you at the moment and not in two years. So that's our goal. All right, so let's start with the concepts. So in a default injection simulator, everything starts with a so-called experiment template. The template defines um, the targets that uh, participate in the experiment. So for example, you can specify um, this group of EC2 instances, you can specify um, a group of container instances, you can target a AKS node group, you can target RDS clusters uh, like an Aurora cluster, but also um, instances like a MySQL or Postgres um, instance. And you can also target IAM roles for specific experiments. And there are different ways you can do that. So you can either specify Amazon resource names, you can directly target a single one uh, very specifically. You can also use the tags. So if the resources are tagged in a specific way, then you can select them by uh, specifying the tag, the key, and also uh, the value optionally. Um, you also have the possibility to filter, and filter usually relies on the describe call, so for example, the describe instances call, and then you could, for example, filter on AMI ID, you could filter on availability zone, you could filter uh, on it, does it have a public IP address, like basically all the information that's available, all the metadata that's available. So what I did in an experiment that I um, prepared is I used the tag AWS colon um, autoscaling group, column group name. So that's the tag that uh, the autoscaling group automatically adds to each instance that it launches. And I use that to select the EC2 instances launched by this uh, autoscaling group. So that was very handy and, and very easy to do. So the next thing um, when we select the targets is we select, uh, we specify the selection mode. So this basically says, do we want to um, select a relative number of um, amount of instances. So for example, from my autoscaling group, I want to have 20% of instances. I want to target them. Or I want to have uh, uh, always one, always two, always three, like an absolute number. And then the selection is done in a random way. So if you select one instance, one of the instances running in the autoscaling group is um, selected. One thing to keep in mind, if you use the relative uh, selection mode, um, if you, for example, have um, one instance and you select 20%, then it will select zero because it will uh, round down to um, zero instances. So there will be no instance in your experiment and it will uh, just fail. All right. So this is how we define um, for, um, the, the kind of participants of our experiment. The next step is in the template where we define what actually happens. So what kind of faults are injected? Uh, onto these targets. Um, and there are different um, kind of uh, scenarios that you can cover. You can run them uh, in sequence, you can run them in parallel. And a couple of things that are possible, you can inject API level errors, but only for the EC2 service. So you can uh, inject things like the API returns, uh, throttle errors, the API returns, um, service not available, unavailable errors, things like that. Uh, you can specify a percentage of calls where this error should happen. So for example, in 10% of the cases, a return a throttle error. Um, you can stop, reboot, terminate EC2 instances. You can also run SSM commands on EC2 instances. There are a couple of pre-built um, documents, uh, for example, to stress the CPU, the memory, and uh, you can inject network latency on EC2s and kill the process. 
Um, that uh, works, uh, all of that only works for Linux instances. Um, you can reboot RDS instances and you can also fail over an RDS cluster. So this kind of helps you to um, test um, if your, for example, if your application is able to reconnect to the database when the IP address behind the DNS name changes. So that's very handy. Um, on the container side, you can drain an ECS container instance. So this requires that you run ECS on EC2, of course. And if you use AKS, you can terminate a node group instance. So that's the chaos you can inject, the different types of chaos you can inject. So what I did in my experiment, um, first, I terminate one EC2 instance from my pool, uh, from my autoscaling group. Then I wait a couple of minutes. And then I run a CPU stress on one of the instances for three minutes. And then again, I wait for five minutes to see if the system stabilizes again. So... With all of that, I think the most important question is um, what do you actually expect from your chaos experiment? So if you run this kind of chaos, what's the expected impact on the system? And that's not something that um, the fault injection simulator kind of helps you with, so that's a question that you have to answer yourself. So in my case, um, my architecture is using an SQS queue to decouple the producers from my EC2 consumers that run in the autoscaling group. And if my autoscaling group contains more than one instance, I expect that if one of the instances is randomly terminated, that um, the message is processed again by another EC2 instance. So that's what I expect what happens. Um, the next question is, how long will it take um, for such a message to be reprocessed? And I think the worst case scenario here is that um, if a message, um, for example, if it takes uh, 20 seconds to process a mes message at maximum, um, then it can take at least two times the processing time. So once for the first uh, try and then like worst cases, it, at, at the very end, it is kind of killed. And then again, we have to process it again. So two times processing time and plus the SQS visibility timeout. So that's the amount of seconds that the first um, um, process kind of requested SQS to take the message out of the queue. So that's the time that you have to confirm a successful um, consumption of a message. And in this case, this uh, success is never reported back to SQS. That's why the message pops up again in the queue. So that's um, worst case, uh, two times processing time plus the SQS visibility timeout. In my case, that's around five minutes, um, which is a reasonable threshold. And I should never reach that no matter what happens in the autoscaling group because there's always like a, a, an instance that picks up um, uh, or reprocesses the message. And this is where the stop condition, so that's another um, concept, comes into play. The stop condition of an experiment template references a CloudWatch alarm. You can also reference multiple alarms if you wish. And as soon as one of those alarms goes off, um, the experiment is stopped and rolled back. So rollback means here that the chaos is kind of stopped. And if there was something changed, um, so for example, if an instance was stopped, um, it will be started again during the rollback phase. So that's what they, um, what what I um, mean if I if I if I say rollback. Um, so based on my expectation um, that I uh, mentioned before, um, using the the SQS uh, retry mechanism, I created an alarm, um, and I can um, uh, luckily I can monitor the age of the oldest message in my SQS queue. So that's exactly the the five minutes that I kind of estimated. I created an alarm based on that threshold. And I use that alarm as my stop condition. 
So suppose that the experiment impacts the application so badly um, that the queue will contain messages that are older than five minutes because, for example, maybe um, this whole retry thing is not working or I misconfigured SQS. And then this alarm will go off, uh, experiment will be stopped, rollback, and I have to kind of either double check my assumptions or I have to fix the problem. So those are, I think, the two outcomes of such a uh, um, failure of an experiment. And then last but not least, once we have the template, we can run experiments based on that template. And we can just start the experiment and then it runs based on um, our um, template. The big question that um, we have to answer is, what kind of chaos can you actually simulate? Because the question is here, is FIS helpful for you or not? And that question, to answer that question, probably we really have to understand what is supported, what kinds of workloads can be um, or in which kind of workloads can we inject um, chaos. So I prepared or kind of rearranged the list a little bit to help you to get an understanding of what you can do with each different ways of running um, applications on AWS. And I categorized them in three different uh, or four different uh, categories. One is EC2. So those are the, like the traditional way. Then we have ECS and we have AKS. So those are the two container options. And then we have RDS. So those are the only services where you can inject um, chaos at the moment. So if you look into the EC2 world, we can inject chaos at the API level. So we can simulate internal errors, throttles, and unavailable errors. So if you reach out to um, as an AMI role, um, uh, sorry, <laughs> as an IAM role, if you reach out to the EC2 service, you can, for this specific role, uh, define um, specific chaos uh, on the on the API level. So that will be kind of simulated on AWS's API side. So it's not simulated on the client side. It's really simulated on the API layer by AWS. So that's that's nice, but it only works for the EC2 service. And only if you are calling from an IAM role. It doesn't work with users. So what else can we do? We can reboot, stop, and terminate EC2 instances. Um, so I think the most... At least for my use cases, the most uh, obvious one is the termination in auto-scaling groups because that's kind of uh, an obvious choice. And then we have support for SSM commands. So you can just invoke any SSM command, which basically runs an SSM document. And this requires the SSM agent to be running on the, on the instance where you want to send the command to. And there are four prepared documents by AWS. One is for stressing the CPU. So you can configure how long you want to stress the CPU. You can also say, do you want to stress all the cores or only specific cores? And you can do a similar thing for memory stress. And then we can introduce network latency and we can also kill a process by the process name. So for example, uh, you could uh, just kill the uh, HTTPD process or something like that and see if it, I mean, it could be either then restarted because of uh, maybe systemd or it could be just killed uh, because the load balancer health check fails. So things like that uh, can be simulated. You can, of course, uh, write your own uh, SSM documents and do your own things. So an, a very simple SSM document would just execute a bash script. Um, so that um, is always your fallback. Keep in mind that the prepared documents uh, for CPU, memory, network, and, and the process stress are only Linux, uh, support only the Linux operating system. So if your workload runs on Windows, then you can kind of forget about them and they will not work for you. All right, those are your options on EC2. Um, so I think that's that's actually quite a bit of, of, of chaos that we can simulate and that is something we can work with. Um, so that makes um, some sense. So when we look into ECS, um, so we can run um, the train cluster instance um, 
uh, chaos, which basically like draining an instance means that all the running tasks on that instance are then rescheduled on the cluster on two different nodes and then no workloads will be running on that instance anymore. Um, so that's one um, possibility and also the only one. So there is no way to simulate stress inside the container at the moment. Uh, so that's not uh, not supported. Uh, on the EKS side, uh, you can terminate a node group instance. That's kind of the same thing as terminating an EC2 instance in an auto-scaling group. It actually is implemented in the same way. So um, kind of the same thing, uh, just kill an instance um, and then hope that uh, Kubernetes will reschedule the pod. Um, so that's, I think, what you can do with it. And that's, again, the only option you have. Um, on the RDS side, so if that's your database of choice, you can uh, reboot the database instance. Um, that's one kind of way to ensure that your application can actually reconnect or that at least the load balancer health check will kind of fail and the whole thing will be replaced. I think that's the kind of the consequences. And if you have an RDS Aurora cluster, uh, you can simulate failover of that cluster as well. Um, so that's it. Um, I think um, in a nutshell, uh, your workloads, uh, if your workloads run on easy to Linux, then you are lucky. Uh, otherwise, then FIS is not yet for you. Uh, it, it's just not ready. Um, so you have to wait a little bit. So a couple of things um, that I miss. Um, so, for example, API chaos for different services than EC2. I mean, I think the ones where data is actually transferred are interesting. DynamoDB, SQS, S3, SNS, all those services. I mean, calling the EC2 API is not so super... Um, I think it's not the, the, the most common use case for an application to talk with the EC2 API. Um, but um, talking with all the data services, I think that makes more sense. So I hope um, the, for support in that area um, uh, soon. Also, if you run stuff on Lambda or um, the whole serverless kind of uh, environment is, is completely missing. Uh, so there's no way to inject any chaos there. Um, on the EC2 side, things that I could uh, imagine would be helpful is running out of disk space would be a nice chaos that, that actually happens in the wild, right? Um, on the network level, we could simulate packet loss, um, not only latency. And then I could also think of a more specific um, application environment, um, specific uh, chaos. For example, if you run on Java, we could run some stress on the garbage collector. So we could make sure that we run full garbage collections every time or things like that, kind of slow down the application um, because of that. Then what's also completely missing is running container level stress. So if you're launching container ECS, AKS, uh, Fargate or not, um, there's no way to do the CPU stress and stuff like that. So that would be um, nice as well, I think. Um, another uh, kind of stress or chaos in the EC2 space would be spot market capacity shortages. So what happens if kind of all your M5s are terminated at the same time? Um, so I think that could be interesting to kind of observe. Uh, also, as a set failure, so um, like uh, one uh, availability zone kind of is not available anymore. Um, so what will happen? Um, on the VPC network um, layer, we could simulate network partitions. So what happens if one subnet cannot talk to the other one anymore? Um, and of course, like things like the net uh, net gateway failing and, and all kinds of, of network problems. So I think there's lots of... Um, room for improvements here and I'm um, really looking forward to what AWS is going to release here in the coming months and uh, to, to help us to simulate more and uh, more uh, different scenarios of, of stress. So the next point we are going to talk about is integrations. Um, so how well is this service integrated into other services, both um, how well can it call other services, how well is it called from other services. And 
I think what I kind of realized is that the 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 the, the fault injection simulator is kind of a lost island. Um, no other service really integrates with this yet, and this leads to one big problem: uh, how can we actually start an experiment in an automated way? So, for example, one thing that I uh, researched is can we start this from code pipeline? So, is there a code pipeline action to trigger an experiment and it fails if the experiment fails and otherwise it just passes? Um, turns out that's not available at the moment. Um, even if you would start it using the CLI, so there is an API for starting experiments, but it is a little bit hard to wait for the outcome of an experiment. So some of the CLI or some services in the CLI have these wait helpers. So for example, you can wait for, um, I don't know, in CloudFund, you can wait for an invalidation to be um, uh, done. If when you share an AMI in EC2, you can wait for that to be done. So things like that. So it would be nice if you would have a CLI helper to wait for an experiment to be done uh, or complete, and then we could check if it's a success or a failure. But that doesn't exist. So basically what you have to do if you want to trigger this in a pipeline, um, you would use um, a bash script to call the CLI, or probably you would use a, a, a programming language that's a little bit more powerful. Uh, start the experiment and then pull the API every now and then and see if um, the status is uh, in 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 the uh, like complete and then you could check if it's a success or a failure. So you need to implement this on your own. Um, so that it's not it's not integrated. Um, one thing that I that made me uh, smile is that um, there is actually CloudFormation support. Um, while there is no Terraform support available, so CloudFormation is faster this time than Terraform. I'm not sure if I has said uh, or if that was um, uh, is 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 um, if I ever mentioned uh, something like that. So it is really cool um, that we have cloud formation support from day one. Um, to save you time and frustration, uh, this podcast comes. This ep- episode comes with a blog post. And it's linked in the show notes. I have my kind of cloud formation snippet in there because uh, it really wasn't so straightforward to get this up and running. So the cloud formation documentation is amazing. So there are. Lots of kind of magic numbers, magic strings that you have to insert uh, here and there to make this uh, work. And also the IAM role again, uh, of course, needs to be kind of uh, generated with some magic uh, permissions that you have to get from somewhere. Um, and like the the, the old like the old kind of problems uh, with the uh, examples uh, that are usually missing, or if they are created, then they are more or less useless. So yeah, if you're interested in a CloudFormation example, check out the blog post. Uh, if you're interested in a Terraform example, as I mentioned, there will be no example because it's not available in Terraform yet. Uh, so there is um, um, yeah, no support for that resource yet. All right. Um, so let's talk about, um, or one step back to integrations. So there is also like, there's no event bridge integration. There is no CloudWatch metrics integration, things like that. So it, it's really... Uh, a thing on its own. The only service it integrates with is CloudWatch Alarms so because of the stop condition. Um, but um, yeah, the experiment itself does not emit any data that you can use uh, to kind of analyze it or ping someone if an experiment failed or or, th- or things like that. So next point and last point to talk about before we go into the um, the maturity, um, the service maturity table is the pricing. Um, so um, it is actually straightforward. You pay uh, $10 cents per minute for each action running. Um, so if you run two in parallel, then you pay for both of them. Um, and so that's how it works. Um, I think the pricing is not really a big deal because I don't think that experiments will run. I mean, you will run them maybe once a day or something like that. Um, so that I think, at least from my perspective, looks fine. 
One fun fact, at least, that I realized is that uh, FIS is uh, the most expensive service uh, to do nothing. Um, so waiting for five minutes in, in, in FIS costs you $50. And in all other services, it is just a fraction uh, of that. So it's uh, hundreds or one thousands of that. Uh, so yeah, um, I don't know why it's so expensive to wait for um, nothing. But uh, maybe that uh, can be changed in, in the future because uh, it's a little bit... Uh, or I don't know if $8 would charge us money for, for waiting. All right, so service maturity. Uh, so this is kind of, um, we try to keep that uh, more or less uh, um, comparable to other services. So we have criteria that we, uh, com that we always uh, um, use depending on the service. We also sometimes add criteria um, and, and remove others because they don't make any sense. So for example, in the FIS, um, scenario i removed uh, the sla criteria criteria because you don't really need an sla for a service like that right uh, so it's not mission critical so one criteria that we always have is feature completeness um so i would um add or give this a score of five so the score can be between zero and ten um so i think there are many features that could be added to make this a little bit easier to you to work with so one could be integrating with other aws services one could be um, to uh, make this uh, possible or, or make, make it possible to run this from the uh, from code pipeline for example so those are things that are missing um, yeah then what I also did here for this service specifically I looked at what chaos is supported so basically the feature completeness of the chaos for different uh, workloads so for easy tool I would say uh, this is a seven so you can actually simulate different different uh, scenarios already so that's quite nice so for containers, uh, that uh, looks um, um, not so good. So I, 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 I would say this is a two. Uh, so I mean, there is something for node groups and um, um, for uh, container instances on ECS. But for example, if you're running Fargate and there's basically zero uh, support. Um, last but not least, uh, chaos support for serverless, and that's definitely a zero. So um, there's no support for that. Um, so there is uh, room for improvement. Documentation detailedness, I think it's a seven. Um, so the documentation is actually clear um, and the only thing that's missing is examples as always uh, and this is not only for the API documentation where I mean sometimes there's just like a field and it says okay please insert some value here um, but you don't have any ideas what it should be it's a constant so I mean they could make it a little bit easier for us and in CloudFormation it's it's the, the same thing I mean it's just kind of auto-generated documentation Um Tags um, for grouping and uh, also for billing, it's supported uh, out of the box. So it gets 10 out of 10 uh, here. CloudFormation and Terraform support um, gets four, um, score four because Terraform is missing. And in CloudFormation, we miss um, examples. There are also a couple of attributes that cannot be set in CloudFormation. So for example, the name cannot be set. And there are also other strangeness in, for example, tags are required in CloudFormation. So I don't know why. Um, but for some reasons, you have to specify tags. Um, it's not optional. Uh, yeah, so I think that could um, get some improvements. Um, does it emit CloudWatch events or event bridge events, uh, as we call them now? Um, no, it doesn't, so gets a zero. Uh, I'm granularity. So this is where we look at our resource level constraints supported. Do we have the possibility to use um, um, tags uh, for access control? And that's all supported out of the box from day one. So that's really great. So it gets a 10. So I think... I don't know if he ever had a service where um, it was launched with um, this kind of support for IEM. 
um, permission so that's great also documentation is is up to date and and all the, the actions are are documented and so that's great and um, thank you uh, very much for that um, so that's not um, what we uh, see from other services um, full support in CloudRail, uh, and it is available in all commercial regions so so you can just go and use it uh, wherever you run your workloads so this leads us to a total maturity score where we basically just summarize all the scores and divide it by the number of criteria um, of 5.9, which is pretty good for a newly launched service. So yeah, I already shouted out that we have this great IEM support here. So this is really unusual. And I think that is a good uh, kind of way for AWS to launch new services with um, at least we can then control who is allowed to access it. So that's it. Um, um, that um, I think provides you a good overview of what the service can do today. So in summary, um, and besides the lacking chaos support, which uh, is kind of funny, but uh, this is how it is, is the service quite mature compared to other newly launched services. So um, everything kind of is in place except for the support for chaos. Uh, so that's how you could um, frame it. Um, if your workloads run on EC2 um, and your architecture is dis designed in a way that you know it, it doesn't have single point, of a single point of failure, so for example, if it runs an autoscaling group, you can definitely give it a try today. Um, I, I guess that you will learn something new about your architecture and that you might discover a bug or something, but uh, it, it shouldn't be a complete disaster because you're already prepared for that. Um, if you, um, one thing to keep in mind, if you run EC2 workloads and inject chaos, if those EC2 instances serve uh, end-user traffic, um, for example, if they sit behind a load balancer and this load balancer serves your website, if you just randomly terminate instances, you will have user impact because there is no retry mechanism here in the chain. So the browser will not retry, load balancer will not retry, so your end-users will see errors. So keep that in mind when you inject uh, chaos on a user-facing um, website. Um, um, that that will be or could be a problem. So I wish that uh, the application load balancer could retry for us at some point in time, but today uh, it's not possible. That's it. That was my summary. Um, I hope you learned something new um, by listening to this podcast episode. If so, please tell your friends and coworkers about it. You can also leave a review on Apple Podcasts or on whatever um, platform you use to listen to podcasts. So that's highly appreciated and helps us to kind of um, make this podcast more visible to new listeners. If you want to deepen your knowledge about AWS even further, then besides this podcast, um, we are publishing a video every week for our uh, Cloud on Plus subscribers. You can stay ahead of the game with our independent insights into the AWS um, Within the past weeks, for example, we published video, um, videos about um, all kinds uh, of topics like CloudFormation modules, DNSSEC with Route 53. Um, we have a video about um, Security Hub coming. Um, so we cover a broad range of topics. And on top of that, we run uh, online events. Usually it's an Ask Me Anything session or coding session where you can ask us questions and we provide you an answer right away. So if you're interested in such a, a way to um, deepen your AWS knowledge, then check out the show notes and look up the details about CloudNode Plus. So if you want to improve the podcast, if you have any feedback for us or want to motivate us to do further episodes, um, feel free to send us feedback via Twitter, LinkedIn, or email. Again, the details are in the show notes. So 
That's it. Thanks for listening. We are back in about a month. Bye.